Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week, the Smart Party would go into a grim world of perilous adventure. So I can't go on my own, I need my good friend with me Bass. How are you doing Bass? As I pop up out of a local sewer, hello there, with a feather in my hat and a rat in my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of our actual players brought to life again. Yeah, the inspiration's clear isn't it mate? We've, we've spent a lot of time down sewers recently, in all kinds of ways. Just going through the motions. <laughs> You can have that one for free. Thanks very much. I'm not <laughs> sure I want it. But anyway, uh, this week, what we thought we might do is go through the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition rulebook and see what we thought of it. Because uh, we've, we've played a bit online and we have run, uh, I've run one or two games. That tends to happen when you've got uh, gentlemen of a certain age who have families and jobs and other things going on. Getting people's calendars all organised means it's not been as quite as frequent as we would have liked. But we have got a few sessions to rebelt. Yeah, we have, and we're we're old time Warhammer Fantasy roleplay fans from way back in the day. And uh, for our international listeners who can't tell regional accents very well, we are British, so that means we are have a vested interest in all things Warhammer. It's kind of like it goes through gamers like words for a stick of rock round here, doesn't it? So it's um it's been a real thrill for me to go back to the new sparkly well, it's not sparkly, the new grime encrusted smelling of sewage version. <laughs> And I think, as we mentioned before on cast, we've both worked for Games Workshop, as many of our, our friends and acquaintances have. Right. And although it gets a bad rap, and rightly so in some cases, one of the things they do really well is the, the IPs and it's the, the worlds they create, and yeah. specifically Warhammer. It's just a nice, rich, and as you say, a very British setting, rather yeah. than something than perhaps D&D, which seems a little bit more heroic and glossy and cartoony almost in a way yeah argue. I think so it's uh, it's published by Cubicle 7 these days uh, written by a bunch of people I will give some shout outs in a bit when we get to the credits page if we ever do um, but on tone I think if you don't know what we're talking about I always think that like your D&D game is like Marvel superheroes comics and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is more like 2000 AD so from other sides of the pond one's a bit more four colour one's a little bit more sarcastic so yeah, very very interesting tone. Mm, definitely. Well, let's crack open our books then. I've right. got a real one in front of me. I think you've got your virtual one. Oh, yeah. Which is nice. Uh, and the very first thing you hit... Well, we could talk about the cover, actually. Would it's lovely. Nice, nice crack of spine there. I don't know if you got that. Mm. But yes, the, the front cover is an homage to the, the first edition one, yeah. which had a big ogre with a Mohican, black and white Mohican, on fighting some people. Uh, and it's very similar to that, with a big rat ogre having a big scrap. And uh, the characters on the front, who sort of like run as a theme throughout the book, uh, are very much Warhammer characters as well, aren't they? You yeah. can't really look at them and go, "There's the fighter magic user thief." They've got the wrong characters about them, definitely. Yeah, it's not quite Lamentations of the Flame Princess, and Warhammer got there first, by the way, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they do look like um, <laughs> they look like they've had better days, <laughs> and they're maybe not going to get many more because um, they're in a proper old fight. There's blood and guts on the cover. I love that the dwarf is hitting the scaven in exactly the same way as the action was on the first cover as well. It's spot on. It's yeah. really nice at least, Drake. There's loads more of those in there as well, isn't there? Yeah, and I don't think it matters whether you did play the older or aware of it or not, but nah. it's nice to have those bits in if you are an old fan, yeah. just as the nice little touches. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. um, but I suppose before we get into it, should we say what Warhammer is? Because there may be some people who don't know, but um, it really? was. Well, what are these people? It's happened before, though, hasn't it? This has happened before, and, and it's not actually that straightforward an answer anymore either, because 
I mean, Warhammer is the invention of Games Workshop, like as you said, Gaz, uh, as you alluded to earlier. Um, and it was a miniatures battle game first and a role-playing game second, all set in the same world. And the two of them ploughed quite different tracks, although probably in parallel for decades. But mm. but now, if you have no idea what Games Workshop are on about, and, and off the back of this podcast you wander into one of their stores or go to their website, you you won't see the world we're about to talk about. So that's a weird thing, isn't it? So this is the old is. world which Games Workshop have dispensed with, uh, have consigned to history because they've invented a new one. And I think down the down the track there's going to be a new RPG to deal with that iteration of the Warhammer world. But but yeah. this is actually a, a world that Games Workshop has released to, well, not to everybody. It's not quite SRD status, is it? But it's not something they're pursuing themselves. Yeah, and it, I think that is notable actually, Baz, that it's it's the old world mm. rather than the Edge of Sigmar or anything that's new at the minute. Uh, so I think the whole book, we'll probably get into it more as we go through it, but it's got a definite feel of one foot in like history and nostalgia and appealing to the old crowd mm. uh, and another foot in trying to be a bit more new and modern and hip. But it is aimed, I think, at what Warhammer was like back in the day, just yeah. with some more modern sensibilities attached to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you played the first edition, you'll recognise this. Uh, if you played the second, I think you'll recognise it as well. So it's definitely a new iteration on on some classic on a classic chassis, I suppose. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. First thing you hit is a, a lovely map of glorious Reichland and a mm. glorious map it is. It's it's super detailed in terms of having lots of little. Things you almost need to get a magnifying glass out to have a look at and stuff. So I don't know how much of an in-game boon it is to have it, but it is. Um, it gives it that good feeling of an old-school role-playing game, if you know what I mean. You've got a really interesting map with loads of nooks and crannies mm. and little bits on it that you kind of want to have squint at and work out what's going on and sort of fall into the world straight away. And um, I think the whole book itself has just got like amazing art all the way through, so we'll, yeah. we'll mention that several times, I'm sure. But yeah. Uh, that rather just a blank inside. It's good to have a, a map of the empire to give you an idea of what the landscape looks like. It, but just just for that um, feeling of being in the game world straight away. I think. Yeah, agreed. They go to great lengths actually to promote Reichland as your starter setting. I suppose in the way that RuneQuest does with Sarta or Prax. There's a big world out there, but the game focuses in on a on a relatively small geographical area. But there's plenty of adventure in it, as I guess we'll come to. Yeah, and I presume the intent is that they'll produce more books as time goes on, which is oh, what they're so. for to do all the extra bits. Yeah, uh, and Reichland sounds a little bit Germanic, uh, mm. which it is. So if you imagine Renaissance Germany in your heads, uh, and if you don't know what that is, younger listeners or people who aren't quite as interested <laughs> in those periods, you might have to Wikipedia it or Google it. Or something. People who weren't around at the time in Renaissance <laughs> <Yeah>. Germany, <laughs> like you and I were. <laughs> Well, I think we've got touchstones with like um, shows that like the Musk- Musketeers or the Flashing Blade or stuff like that. There's yeah. like certain things that were up when we were when we were younger that we watched on TV that meant that this had a certain you could tap into it a little bit more. I don't know whether that's stuff that's really popular right now or in the last couple of decades. So maybe it's not something that you remember from your younger days. Now that's really maybe. fair because if you we have this discussion about sci-fi quite a lot don't we that it could mean lots of different things but if you say fantasy to people i think there's a there's an idea that most people know what that means and but do you know what i'm not so sure of that anymore because if you do say fantasy to someone they might be thinking game of thrones um or they might be thinking warcraft which are two 
big properties but quite different to one another or they might be thinking Lord of the Rings and the movies like that and The Hobbit I mean Warhammer was always a little bit odd because it's slightly more technologically advanced than the normal Renaissance fair stuff um, and it's got a bit yeah. of black powder and printing presses and and that kind of thing so it's it's like you know fantasy adjacent isn't it and, and Renaissance yes. Germany is definitely I mean I'm still not entirely sure why they picked that one because it's not obvious and and Albion, which is Great Britain, is just, you know, it's still a side affair. If that, it, it barely merits a mention in the whole of the setting. So it's, it's an odd pick. Even 30 years later, I'm still wondering why they went with Germany. I like it, but it's an odd one. Yeah, I don't know if they just made it feel a little bit more um, exotic because it was a different country. Yeah, maybe. Because that, yeah. that's the sort of feeling I get with Tales from the Loop, for example, that's set in Sweden. That's where I'd set it rather than Boulder City in America. Yeah. Because it just makes it feel a bit more magical or mystical or something or there's just something a bit more mm. whimsical about it perhaps I don't know I think also it's an excuse for good puns I've, <laughs> yeah, I've run the game in Germany and the, one of the comments I got back from one of the Germans was what are you doing to my beautiful language because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a theme of the book that you have to come up with Germanic sounding stuff that's actually nonsense but yeah, you do. it's all part of the British humour I think so it's um, I mean the place in which it's set I mean the, the book opens with some really lovely colour plates doesn't it um, mm. and so you're straight into the world and it's all new art as well as far as I can tell it's not yeah. art that was produced by Games Workshop back in the day and I mean Games Workshop's got an amazing art archive but they've chosen to do their own thing here I think I'm right in saying um, it seems to be yeah and it's lovely it looks really good and, and the empire is kind of like dark foreboding forest and mountains and rivers and that is about it isn't it I mean there's cities and stuff too but it's you've not got like your like in the Forgotten Realms where you've got your desert bit and your icy bit and your farmland bit and your lava bit it, it's not really like that it's 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 kind of the Scandinavian kind of style isn't it with the giant forests and uh, and you know little points of light scattered amongst them yeah, and going out of adventure it feels like you are going into the wilderness. It's not like yeah, correct. happy go lucky trip down the road. Mm. And I think you're right. It's something you mentioned about previous games, and one of our guests recently was saying we don't have color plates anymore and that sort of thing. But that's that's the opener to this game, right? Yeah. You've got lots of double page spreads, uh, and those adventures we mentioned that are on the front of the book are in those as well. So it, mm. it's really good at placing an adventuring party in the game world going about their business of adventuring and some of the adversity they might face which is really nice touch yeah and there's a, there's a brilliant easter egg on well it's page 10 on the pdf it might be different in yours it's the colour plate of an adventuring party walking away from a flaming windmill and if yeah. you've ever played Death on the Reich back in the day you'll know that scene really well uh, and that's a really nice throwback to a classic campaign and something that every adventuring party who ever played the enemy within back in the day definitely definitely did that's really cool yeah that's all good and there's bits of text on each page you take it to it but I think that's just a good for the sake of the 12 or 14 pages whatever it is if that had all been like closely knit text in double columns I'd have probably been dull you know I found that quite dull yeah. to, to dredge through and I think that's a much better way of presenting what the game world is Agreed. with uh, shorter amounts of text and a lot more visuals and you know finishes off with like the, the party in a pub drinking beer and telling people about what they've done and that kind of stuff and just generally cheering at their own success which is I think it's just a nice little narrative yeah agreed yeah it, it drags you straight into the game um, it finishes up with a, a, some in-game fiction I suppose which is like a letter of introduction mm. from somebody um, and that's really nicely done the layout on this stuff is gorgeous as well isn't it it's all yeah, multi-layered stuff it's got you know really nice backgrounds it's been well thought out it's legible 
Um, and really, you know, it's really inspirational. And over the course of that couple of pages, that's definitely stuff you could shove across the table to a bunch of players and just say, flick through that. You don't need to read that, but flick through that. And you know what? We'll all be on the same page. That's pretty good going. <laughs> Literally, yeah. And it's got the nice touches like the wax seals and the blood spatters and yeah. the, you know, the stains on the page and all that kind of stuff. Lots of attention to detail about the, mm-hmm. the way it looks and feels. I think that's all really good. Yeah. So the, the, the first sort of meaty bit that you get into... Um, of like what people probably recognise more of a traditional part of the book is the character section straight mm-hmm. away. Yeah, it's not small, <laughs> which isn't small. <laughs> and I think it's good. That's, I mean, we've we've talked about some of the other layouts of books recently, including the DNG that had um, like religions and gods and stuff fairly straight on all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I think for this, given what the intro has been like so far in showing these characters, to jump then straight to character creation and talk about characters, I think is the right move. So yeah. well done on that. Agreed. Because having looked at all the pictures, the first thing you want to do is like, well, okay, how do I make one of them then? Mm. <laughs> I want to be one. What do yeah. I do about it? So, to make your own character, um, there's different races, as they're called, or species rather. Mm. Um, and what you'll notice throughout this character creation chapter is there's random tables for rolling stuff on, like it used to be in the old days. Yeah. Which uh, is kind of a lover or hate them feature with some people, but it's optional. So if you don't like rolling for what your race is or a species or anything else that's in here, uh, just pick one. So that's all right. Well, yeah, is it optional though? Because you, <laughs> if you choose to accept the random rolls, you get experience points in character creation. <laughs> so it's like you can roll it, and we'll give you some benefits for that. And um, which is a bit weird. It's a, a kind of a compromised position, isn't it? I think maybe it's fun. Um, yeah, because if you are rolling, it's not that random. I don't know if you noticed on the species table, it's all D one hundred, but on a roll of one to ninety, you're a human. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you get you get to be an elf on a ninety nine or a hundred. So you know, good luck with that random roll. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a way of um, telling you how rare the sort of species yeah. are throughout the game world. So it's I good like that it. Point of view. Yeah, but if you do go random, time. you're going to be playing a human, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Which is fine. Which is fine yeah, because it's humans, halflings, dwarves, high elves, wood elves, which I think belies the uh, uh, the ancestry of this game. Because when it came mm. out, it was it was pretty bog standard fantasy trappings. To be honest, yeah, it's got a Warhammer veneer on it, but it's it was pretty Tolkien esque, wasn't it? It so, was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like with all the the weight of history it's now got, it sort of developed its own character. But mm. Mm. yeah, you can, you can still see the uh, the DNA there and where it's come from. Yep. And besides, humans are cool in this game, so why not? Yeah, it specifically kills them Reichlanders as well, because that's where the game's ostensibly set. Yeah. Uh, certainly, if, if that, all you've got is the rule book. So presumably as well, uh, Nordlanders or people from other parts of the Empire are going to have quite supplements and have their own specialities and sets of mm. skills and various other bits and pieces, so that's mm-hmm. all good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, probably one thing to note, but from a sort of stat point of view, elves are actually really good. In terms of, they get lots of extra points in their starting attributes. Uh, yes. th- there is a counter side to that. We'll probably get to in a little minute, but um, it's worth noting if you're unfamiliar and you think, well, we'll just pick some races and species and classes and all the rest of it. That if you have elves and dwarves, they've got better numbers on the sheet than humans have. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Not they don't give you the numbers straight away anyway. You've got a good couple of pages on each species as you go through. It's good reading. Um, I like the little um, in-game fiction as well. The little quotes from other people. They're all mm. an interesting read. It's quite nicely done, considering they are telling what is probably people who've gained before what elves and dwarves are. 
I think they've done quite a nice job of it, um, even though they're not that unusual, really. The, I yeah. mean, the bit I do like is the halflings, which are definitely hobbits. There's no doubt mm. about it. Uh, but the only little thing they put in there, which I think is worthwhile, is to say how good mates they are with ogres. Which, yeah. <laughs> which is, I didn't know that. And I don't know if that's new or not. Um, but that's a really nice little take. And they repeat that a few times in the book, too, about how halflings and ogres are best mates. You can't play an ogre, uh, but if you play a halfling, you might be in charge of a bunch of ogres, which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's the usual stuff we've mentioned the art already. It's peppered throughout. So each race has got a couple of examples mm. of what they look like and that kind of stuff just to really embed the game world. Yeah. So that's fine. So I keep calling them race, and they've specifically called it species. So yeah. apologies to Cubicle 7, but um, you all know what I mean, I think, out there in Game of Land. Yeah, okay. So it's, uh, it's just after they get to some numbers because they get to the careers bit, don't they? Mm. Um, and that is one of the unique selling points of Warhammer from way back when. No classes, uh, but you do have careers. And they are basically occupations, but there's loads of them. There is sort of eight broad categories, which they call a class, but that doesn't do anything much apart from put you into a pretty broad silo. Um, yeah. But it's not a game where you, you are wizard, fighter, thief. You could well be apothecary or investigator or duelist. That's the kind of flavour that you get. And I, I don't like to count them. I mean, there must be 80 of them. I'm thinking something like that, 70, 80. Uh, I think it's about eight for each of the eight classes. Okay. So it's probably yeah. about 64, I think. 64, just a yeah. quick scan. Wow. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting one as well because in the Facebook groups and stuff I've seen, uh, the first thing that people started doing was creating more classes and, well, more careers. <laughs> it's like, well, how many, how many, uh, you can't possibly have researched these 60 odds already, so what are you doing? Yeah. I, did, I did say to some guy, because uh, as in, in the uh, the fancy battle game as well, what tends to happen is people try and introduce a bit of power creep. Yeah. So people were producing careers for hearth guards and like these tank dwarves and all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. I was like, lads, like Warhammer to me is about being you know a rat catcher or a barber or something like that. it's one of the old Scottish careers yeah. perhaps nothing something heroic as a fighter uh, and one of them misunderstood this and sent me lots of careers for low level characters asking for I was like no mate I've got I've got tons of careers already I'm saying stop making careers you haven't even played the game yet like yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hold yeah. it back but that is definitely a selling point of the game and um, they've made it a little bit more open in this edition of Warhammer so changing between careers and stuff is a lot easier mm. uh, in the older editions of the game you kind of have paths to follow and you work out if you wanted to be a judicial champion or something mm -hmm. what you need to start at and which, which were the best paths to, to pick to get there and it was a bit like a feat tree of careers mm. um, so they've taken that away a little bit which I don't know some of the old fans might find upsetting that they don't get to sit there with a book and, and plan the way through but I think just generally being able to move around careers more freely uh, just makes it a lot more accessible for most people yeah yeah I think so and and there are absolutely loads aren't there and although you can go sideways up down and the rest of it I think there's a thing about games isn't there I don't know what it is about games companies that think you're going to play nothing but their game for 30 years but, <laughs> but you know you're never going to get to the bottom of every one of these classes in play you, it just yeah. isn't going to happen you're never going to we'll be long dead by the time we got round to the 50th or 60th one of these in play um, which is, is lovely to have choice it really is but this game is definitely deep enough with what it's got and and they're all really flavoursome as well mm. you look down the list and you think oh yes please and, and because it's occupations as well like racketeer or pit fighter you kind of know what you're going to get without having to go on and read it so it just it, it's really appetising and makes you want to roll on the table which you can do and that's 
uh, that's done by species as well, isn't it? So you've it got. Um, so if, for example, you've ended up some, by some miracle with a wood elf character, you are unlikely to end up being river folk, which is one of the broad categories, just because of the distribution that they've built into it. So some thought has gone into this. So humans could do just about everything. And if you're playing something a bit more exotic, some things won't be very likely to fall across your path. And that's quite nice because it, it means you've got some world building in there straight away. Yeah, I know you said there's some thought going into it. So there's definitely thought in making variety, but I don't know how <laughs> much thought is going to. I suspect some of these are quite random. I don't know. Um, for example, a witch might be an interesting character to play, but mm -hmm. to get that result, there's only one. You have to roll an 88 and be a human to get ah, that character if right, you're doing it randomly. Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? So, yes, I see, yeah. Um, but some some species are more likely to be certain careers than others, and some can't be some careers and where. But yeah. as we've discussed already, if you just want to play a witch, then pick one. If that's yeah. that's your bag, you can you can do that. But it's fun to have the table to roll on just to see what you would get, mm. or do a best of three, or whatever you want to do, really. Yeah, cool. Um, and then it's before they get into the detail on the class, they're keeping it numbers based at the moment. We get into attributes. And this is one of those games that, uh, again, it shows its DNA a little bit, but it's got quite a few attributes. Uh, ten, I think. Yeah, ten characteristics and a couple of other sort of derived ones as well. And these sort of always lined up with what you had from Warhammer Fantasy Battle back in the day. So yeah. you've got like a, um, your ballistic skill or bow skill and strength and toughness and initiative. They all make sense. Um, but at least they're all in percentile terms these days. The original game had some, some went up to 100, some went up to 10, some went sideways. It was very peculiar. So it's been, someone's hit the justify button across the whole game, really, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> They've normalised the data, as we would say in, the, <laughs> yeah, in my yeah. world. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so everything's in percentages, and then quite often the bonus, you just take the tens unit. So if you've got mm. a toughness of 43, your toughness bonus is four, which yeah. just makes it easier all round. Uh -huh. uh, the one stat that's missing from older versions and from the fancy battle game as well is attacks. Uh -huh. And that always used to be one that made people upset. Uh, or happy, depending on whether you had three attacks or not. I think, mm. but that, that was one from the old careers where if you could get a character that had three attacks, they could do loads of stuff, and the other characters only got to do one thing. So yeah. it's obviously the uh, design decision there. They've seen that that was a bit of a not a cheat, but it, it could impinge on some people's fun uh, or whatever. So they've just taken it out and just included extra abilities within talents and other things. Yeah, good job too. So you wouldn't want that going up to a hundred. No, definitely not. <laughs> That'd be rubbish. Yeah, so. And then all your skills and talents that you get, well, the skills certainly are based on your attributes. So if you have a weapon skill that's reasonably high, you, you can then get skills that might put that up mm. a bit further by training specific weapons, for example, and that kind of thing. So your your basic stats that we've just mentioned are where the numbers start to come from that you're going to roll mm. against in the game. Uh, and that's why I mentioned that some species get better numbers. Because even if you haven't picked a particularly, um, say, martial career or something like that, elves still get quite good uh, numbers to mm. back that up. So even without the skills to add on to it, the basic numbers across initiative and things like that are all pretty high anyway. Yes, that's right. So the average human, which is actually going to be most characters, is going to have a skill of about 30 before they start buffing it up with stuff. Um, so a 3 in 10 chance of succeeding in something what challenging, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. So, you know, the old Warhammer used to have loads of accusations about whiffery in it. And we'll see, I guess, as we go through this, how that goes. Uh, it doesn't feel that way in-game. It feels like you, you, you succeed a little bit more often than you used to. Uh, but you're definitely not stepping out with your new character able to take down hordes of beastmen in the early parts of the game. It's just not that sort of game. 
it's a bit more. I don't want to use the word realistic. Oh, I've just used it. But it's a bit. <laughs> it's a bit more uh, grounded. Perhaps that's yes. the term for it. Yeah, uh, carrots are definitely fragile. So you don't wade into hordes of orcs cutting down a score on one side and the score on the other. You, you know, you fight one or two orcs and then get worried. Yeah. <laughs> they start winning. <laughs> but we'll get into the real stuff a little bit later, I think. Cool. Um, so moving on in terms of species and skills and talents, you do actually get some depending on what you are. So if you're a dwarf, you're good at consuming alcohol enough, uh, metallurgy lore and stuff like that, and Hales can sing and know more about playing instruments and ranged weapons and that kind of thing. So it gives you some starting stuff you get based on uh, your species, uh, and then your career then guides things like what of your, which of your attributes you can increase and another set of skills that you can put points into. Mm. Um, so I think one of the tricks of the game is justifying why you're adventuring as well. So your party might have a toll yes. keeper and a witch and a nobleman and you know a, a wide variety of different uh, jobs, basically. For what, that's what the careers are. Mm. So coming up with the idea about why you're all adventuring together and not doing your job as a toll keeper, for example, can be an interesting challenge. I know some people online have been a bit kind of, well, all this makes sense. What am I supposed to do? I rolled randomly and got a bunch of random careers and now I don't know what to do. I'd view it more of a feature than a bug because that's where some interesting stories can come from about why you're all together or what's f forcing you along your path to adventure rather than sitting in your toll booth collecting copper pieces. Yeah, I think you can overthink this stuff because I think as adventurers you're kind of an exotic group anyway. So yeah. if you were going to have a bit of a Star Wars cantina band look about you, well then you should be an adventuring band because you're not going to be doing anything else together, are you? So <laughs> you know that does make a, some sort of sense. But it is, well, for me, mate, without wanting to bury the lead, it is an early sign, but I don't know if the job do, if the book does a fantastic job of telling you what it is you do in the game. It's that old core activity conundrum again. Um, yes. The idea of going adventuring. I mean, it's not really spoken about out loud yet. Yes, it says you're a protagonist and, you know, you're in a fantasy world, but you need the other bit. What do you do in that fantasy world? And if if you've got a slightly exotic fantasy world going on and it's a really interesting setting and there's interesting careers and occupations, I think it's a valid question to say, yeah, but what what am I doing? What What's adventuring look like in this world? And they may well come to that, but I'm not sure it's front and centre enough for me yet to know what the party is like. Yeah, and I think I don't think he does necessarily address that. No. Nah. In a strong way, as than the way that you are talking about in this book. But then, to its defence, one of the first supplements coming out is a bunch of diverse adventures, mm. a bit like the One Ring did, where it came out with a bunch of adventures to give you an idea of different styles you might want to play in. Yeah. And there's also going to be a starter set, if it's not out already. It was due out sometime soon, um, which is probably your entry point if you don't know what you're doing. I think this book really is for people who either know about role playing games or fancy role play or the world or something who've yeah. got it in already. Uh, and if you don't, then they're doing the right thing in inverted commas that a lot of games seem to be in these days and producing a starter set and some adventures early. So that gives you, you know, there's an argument to be had about should that not be in the main real book anyway, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I think the tools are going to be there to get into it if you don't know what any of it's about. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. And and it's yeah, that makes sense, mate. They're they're doing a sort of show don't tell kind of way about how do you play this game. It's like well, here's some adventures, not just some advice. So fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I think we've got to a bit where there's kind of there's tables for how to make an elf name and eye color and all kinds of stuff that you can have fun rolling on or just pick. Uh, and there's a little bit after that about the party, and it's it is only like half a page or something. 
but you should have a, a long-term party ambition or a, certainly a medium-term party ambition so it at least calls out that you as players should all think about what your what's your goal as a group what you're trying to do doesn't go into yes. massive detail about it but at least it calls out that you should have that in your minds before you start playing well, and, and it, me- yeah. it mechanically supports it as well I should probably mention that you get XP for completing your ambition so it rewards people working together so that's that's a nice touch I think the ambitions are great your short term ambition long term ambition is you can port it into any game and and in and the best play is to use that in any game isn't it it's like what do you want to do I think they're brilliant what I don't understand is how it's on the same page as where we literally get a roll table which is quite big it's half the page for the colour of your eyes but when it comes to ambitions it's like think of an ambition that's it it's not it, you know there's a hair colour table coming up that's half a page and you can find out that you've got licorice coloured hair which is a new one for me but you just have to think up short term and long term ambitions there's not yeah, even much point. there's three examples for each that should be a great big table you could roll on I would have thought yeah, that's probably a, that's probably a trick that's been missed. And it's got the ten questions about bringing your character to life straight after about why did you leave home and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that space could have easily been spent on a table you roll on to find out these things. Yes, um, exactly. So, yeah, you know. yeah. Cool. It's not it's but, not a massive strike against it at all. But it's again, it's DNA. It's showing some roots there, isn't it? There's that we like a, a nice table, and this game is not afraid of using tables. Introduces a new piece of tech. I think perhaps mistrick. Yeah, uh, and there's a little bit of advancement. Uh, mm. which we don't really need to go into and then a double sp- page spread which has got the anatomy of the character sheet and just yeah. little call out boxes pointing to what each bit is and where you put numbers in and stuff like that which is yeah, nice character sheet fine. looks busy, um, I, I like the look of it, you could tell a lot by uh, the game from its character sheet and this one looks smart um, it, it's a bit of a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. to, well I mean, this this game is let's say this now, it is trad as all funk isn't it, it is super yes. trad with a trad frosting on the top of tradness <laughs> trad trousers yeah. <laughs> it is. yeah, with a section to write down what colour your trad trousers are on your trad character <laughs> sheet and whether you've got slashed sleeves or not yeah. you're joking yeah. Uh, yeah. that's that's not a diss for me that I like a trad game but it's not pretending to be much else is it maybe that's why they don't give you a table for ambitions because I'll oh, better wedge that in just in case anyone moans there's not enough story but it's uh, yeah. it's full of well full I think of it's, squares like, it's a bit like in. it's a bit like RuneQuest and it's a bit like some of the other games in that it's just unashamedly a game of its era and they you know it's been they've all been brought up to the to the modern day to sell to the new audience but they're sort of half selling to the old audience as well yeah. so um yeah I think it's, it's unashamedly that. So if you if you're looking for your letter story game, then this isn't yeah. it. But nope. um, you probably knew that from the size of the book anyway. <laughs> okay, right. Next up, we get into the meat and potatoes of class and careers, which is it's a big old chunky section. To be honest, it's um it's a good fifty sixty pages, and that's where all of the business end is of what you're getting for your choices you made earlier. Um, yeah, the careers. <laughs> The careers are great. <laughs> the trouble is picking between them. I'd, I'd take almost any one of them and want to play that. They just look really playable. <laughs> that's why. That's why you have a table to roll on. I know. <laughs> it's picking one that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we probably should say about character creation. And there's a bit there about changing careers and stuff like that. Is um, for me and compared to say OSR games, or, or story games, how some of the more modern ones are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warhammer does feel a little bit like homework if you've got to make a lot of characters. Yes. some of the bits about where you start starting skills go and stuff are hidden away in a paragraph 
Um, so it's handy to have the internet because you can go on Discord or Facebook groups or whatever and just say, where was that bit about uh, armor and this, that, and the other? And, and someone will be guaranteed there'll be a fan out there who can tell you which page it is to go to and stuff. But yeah. um, if you're just making one character, it's probably not too bad. I just found that making two sets of five characters for my two different games I was going to run at conventions ended up making a spreadsheet for it and some notes mm. on what you did to make a character. So there's a lot of words there, and sometimes you have to, like, fettle around a little bit to get all the bits that you need to make your character mm. up but you know old school game etc etc yeah 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 um, uh, I'm going to call this out um, nowhere on that massive character sheet that's got that looks like an Excel spreadsheet does it have gender for your character that's a deliberate thing and uh, yeah. I think that's fine and good and and later because we're about to talk about careers and it's bound to come up um, it's you're, you're playing in almost a historical period of a, of a sort, almost, because yeah. yeah. it's Renaissance Germany, and there's, we're bound to get into a discussion about realism and all the rest of it. I think I think it's a really cool move to not have gender on character sheet because it's just not necessary, is it? Yeah, and that's not correct. about being like a social justice warrior or anything like that. And you know, take those discussions elsewhere. I don't care. Um, I just think it's kind of neat that that's happened, and not a great deal has been made out of it um, because that's, that's the right yeah. thing to do, you know. It's you've got you got you got hair color, eye color, height. You've got every other thing you could want on there, but and, and arguably, does any of that really matter in the game? Well, I suppose you know you can call on it. And someone says, "What do you look like?" But nowhere does it matter whether you have a willy or not, or what you do with it. Good, <laughs> correct, move on. Yeah, and for all the people saying it's not historically accurate or realistic or whatever, well, now there's Warhammer, so yeah, get up for it. If yeah. you're happy with greater demons of Sinch turning up in your Germanic village, then mm -hmm. you should be happy with whatever gender someone wants to be. Yes. So shut up. Indeed. And I think it does have to be said because we're about to go into 64 careers, which <laughs> all have loads and loads and loads of cool, diverse-looking character art. I mean, the art is brilliant as well. It's going to be a matter of style, whether you like it or not. But it's consistent. It's not all by the same artist, but it's consistent all the way through. It just oozes flavour, and there is absolutely, uh, uh, it just looks incredibly diverse and modern and correct in its approach to what we should have in role playing games these days. I think it looks ace, and they've done a really good job of dealing with stuff like, oh, hang on, I've rolled up a river man. No, does that mean I can't be a woman? And other such tedious discussions that they've had to head off at the past because somebody somewhere will be having it. Um, and I think they just deal with it quite well. Um, yeah, and they just move on, and and just make things cool and normal, which is what should happen. Yeah, exactly. The, the watchman's an old dude, and mm. um, the townsman's a woman, and things like that. And I think the witch might be a man as well. I haven't got to that point in the book yet. Yeah. But just flicking through. But yes, it, it doesn't. The, literally, doesn't matter what gender you are. Yeah. Uh, and all the um, all the careers are, are one page each. There's a, a good full size portrait of an example of that type of career. As I say, it's different art. Um, well, shout out to uh, Ralph Horsley, uh, Sam Menley, Scott Purdy, I think there's one or two others as well, but all really good. Although they are different artists, I think um, from the art direction point of view, it all feels the same in a way. Yeah. It, in other words, it's not like the old White Wolf books that where Leif Jones look radically different than some like super realistic painter or whatever, and White Wolf seem to like relish in diversity. This has got different artists, but mm -hmm. it all feels like the same feel, I guess, for yeah. want of a better word. Yeah, it really does. Should we zoom in on like a random career and just say what you get for your money? Uh, sure, why not? Okie dokie. You're going to make me roll on the table. 
<laughs> no. I've just like hit, oh, hit scroll like with my to. finger and I'm going to stop without looking. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now I'm disappointed. <laughs> you, if you've got dice to hand, mate, you could do it. But I'm, mate, you, know. <laughs> you do what you want. I'm flicking through this book now. I'm looking for my case. <laughs> <laughs> Have I got dice to hand? Right. Let's roll D100. 40. Let's assume I'm human. Yeah, uh, I think it's a safe assumption. Herbalist. Oh, okay. Right, Lord knows what that Why is. Not? Yeah, no. <laughs> Control F in my world. <laughs> Maybe just flicking through the book and picking one back there. Um, I, su <laughs> I suppose with, with the the book, the problem is, or well, the challenge, is to say, is the careers are mixed up by class. Yes. So all the academics together, then all the burgers, and then within the class, they're alphabetic. So yes. if you want to look at the herbalist, you can't just look alphabetically to look for H. You've got to look for the which class it belongs to, and then it'll be alphabetical right. under there, which is a and it's a type of peasant, you'll be glad to hear. Oh, good. <laughs> so you, if you want to be a herbalist, you can be a halfling, a high elf, a human, or a wood elf. So you can't be a dwarf, essentially, but you could be most other stuff. Um, they are skilled botanists who use Rhea's bounty to create cures for many ailments, Rhea being uh, a goddess in the setting. So, oh, they're, they're, they're creating cures. Excellent. Okay. They've got a nice little bit of flavor uh, text from a herbalist in the setting called Curtis Schwarz. Um, and they all have little flavour settings like this um, and they're all interesting because from a GM's perspective I don't know if you've done this guys but th these would be things I would I would just say out loud from NPCs because yes, it's better than I can make up on the spot there's some really nice things in there it doesn't belabour the point of what you do it gives you a nice picture of an example character and then it gives you the the mechanics that you need so every career has what's called an advanced scheme um, which is the way that you can increase those 10 characteristics we talked about before. You can't increase them all. Um, some of them are specific to your your career um, and some of them unlock later in the game. And that's almost really the only differentiation between classes mechanically. I say only, it does open up quite a bit, but it's all about what advances do you get. So in some ways it's kind of incredible to manage to get 64 character classes or careers out of a 10 stack game, but they've done it. So mm. if you start off as a herb gatherer, so you've just rolled up your herbalist, you find out what your skills are that you can increase, what your talents are that you have available to you, what your trappings are, which is like a, a starter equipment set. Um, and they've got a, a really cool thing for like your social status, um, which is a color and a number. Um, but it, it, it's all a, like a little package really and, and once you've got that you're away it's, there's not that much complication mm. to having a career is there it's, it's grab yeah. and go yeah I like it uh, and it, it lays out what your path's going to be and what you need which are the things you need to take to get kind of up in that career yeah. and each level of the career's got its own little name like D&D used to have in the old days when you mm. went up levels of faith and you became a foot, a foot pad and a cup person whatever yes. else it's just yeah. got that little bit about it so you start off as a herb gatherer and become a herbalist and then you're a herb master and herb wise by the end of it and that kind of thing and each career's got that it's just an extra little bit of flavour that's tucked into the game yes so there's like four they don't call them levels but there's four big sort of uh, tiers of character and you can absolutely go sideways um, and into other careers and I mean they'll say this later but one of the things you have to try and do really with your campaigns is to find ways to accommodate career changes and if you can write that into your campaign, your scenarios, then you can break all of those rules anyway. 
So back in the day in Warhammer, people used to become outlaws quite readily just because of the sort of things player characters do. And there's an outlaw career, so you can find yourself in that quite readily. Um, yeah. And that that sort of stuff is so all of these careers are there as they're scenario seeds. Quite apart from anything else, they're really good for that. Yeah, and flipping on its head, it's as you sort of alluded to with the, the quotes. You've easily got a bunch of NPCs there if you want them. Mm-hmm. So when the party do decide to go and find an apothecary to find a cure for the the bloody flux or whatever disease they've contracted, then you've got a nice little bit of stuff there you can throw in straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Cool. I mean, I think that's we could go on for ages going through all these, but uh, the fun I think for for most people will be sitting down with a bunch of dice and rolling some random stuff and seeing what careers they've got and then investigating them. I think yeah. to go through each one and each talent and each skill and try and work things out would be many a night's work for someone if they found that enjoyable you, you get a lot of enjoyment out of it uh, I imagine most people will just roll some dice or pick something that sounds cool and get going and see how it works out yeah I think what it, what I would say is that if the classes in D&D tell you about the D&D default world where you've got rogues and fighters and wizards then the broad classes in Warhammer tell you everything you need to know because you've got academics burghers who are townsfolk courtiers peasants, rangers, river folk, rogues and warriors. So those are your eight broad categories. That's the kind of world you're in. Those are the sort of people you play. So, you know, river folk was a really interesting one for me because if you if you go into one of these categories you tend to stay within that. There's mm. just that that tells you you are in a world which is full of rivers rather than roads. Um, and I, I just love that. I think that's really nice. There's a mixture of urban and country, but it's just and there are some high-powered things in this world. Do not get me wrong. There are some mad things, but it's not the same as the war game, where everybody's flying around on a hippogriff with a magic sword. <laughs> it's not that type of thing at all. Yeah, uh, and if you feel more comfortable playing some of the more familiar things, there are careers like soldier or thief or whatever yeah. else. So if you wanted to play a more um, familiar to you sort of D and D style or at least flavour then there's that sort of career in there and if you're coming yeah. from fantasy battle then there are careers like Slayer so you can start out as a troll slayer and build your way up to a, a giant slayer mm-hmm. and whatever else Yeah. okay so that's careers <laughs> done I'm scrolling yeah skills and talents <laughs> comes up next which I'm is straight scrolling. off the back of careers <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and again this is this is a chapter that I don't imagine a lot of people reading start to finish there, there are people out there who still feel they have to read every word of a book and good luck to you my friends because there's a lot of stuff to read there um, I think everything's fairly straightforward it goes into what various skills do there are some bits and pieces in there that you might want to read so it's probably worth reading up on you know like Intimidate for example because that's something your characters are likely to do or have done mm-hmm. to them Um Consume alcohol is a skill that a lot of characters have. Maybe you want to read up on that. I'm not sure what it gives to the game myself, but it's there as a skill if you want it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the, there are interesting bits in the skills chapter, actually. So, for example, bribery, it mentions that you might want to use it in combat. And I do like the idea, whether you follow the rules or not, that player characters might throw lots of silver on the floor in the hopes that it means they don't get stabbed or something like that. It just sets off little bits in my mind that think that would be a cool thing to happen in a game fight. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a skills chapter, and the skills kind of do what they say, but it is worth looking at them. I mean, 
it really is worth looking at them. Actually, I may even go back and read them properly. I think if you pick your career and you've got your you've got your little skills, then you don't have access to all the skills anyway. So arguably, you don't need to read all the skills. But everybody can attempt the basic ones, and there's quite a few. And the character sheet has got more than I'm normally comfortable with. It's a quite a skilly game. Yeah. My my sort of tolerance is usually for something like fifteen to twenty skills, and after that, I wonder if they could be bunched together a bit more. It's got well in excess of that. There's loads. Um, yeah, but I think as but... you say, mate. There's there's actually some hidden grit in there too. There's quite a few that can be used in combat or for things that aren't immediately obvious at face value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are, for me as well. There's too many skills mm. uh, for what I would prefer, but um, I still feel it's perfectly fine because you end up. As characters focusing on maybe ten or fifteen of them, and yeah. some of them just you just happen to have. So I think it works out all right. And it's worth noting you've mentioned basic skills there. There's also advanced skills which you'll get access to by certain careers. So that limits certain things that people can do. Everybody can do the basic stuff, but if you want to fire a black powder weapon, for example, you have to have a specific skill for that, which is advanced, and only certain careers have access to it. So it's another way of reinforcing the game's world that. You can't just kill a pistolier in your sleep and then run around with a, a black powder pistol, mm-hmm. scaring the bejesus out of everybody and shooting people in the face because that's just yeah. not how the game world works. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but if you've seen skills before, have a look. You know what you game. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly, <laughs> I suppose talents is the next thing, isn't it? Which, uh, I mean, we we live in a world now where when Warhammer first came out, this sort of stuff was fairly fresh. But now, since the D twenty boom of the two thousands, everyone knows what a feat is. That's what yeah. these are. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, some were just to give you plus five to your weapon skill or to some other stats or whatever else. Mm. Uh, something, some do a bit more story stuff, and then some have completely weird, wonderful things that they do as well. But yeah. um, there's a big old list to work your way through there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's quite a few. They're all fine as well. There's some nice things yeah. in there. Some some call outs to some old stuff like blather as a, as a talent. Um, yeah. you've got some stuff where you just you, you're you sure you will never ever ever see this come up in a game good luck if it does <laughs> you know but it's nice things to have I suppose there's the school of thought is that for some people they really want to love their character and so it, if it's written down on a character it informs how they play and what they see about them and all the rest of it it doesn't really matter sometimes if you ever roll the dice based on it it's just there isn't it yeah um and uh, some of these look like they, they will never come up. Some of them look like they come up all the time. I, I, I'm not sure if it's balanced. Who knows? Does it even have to be? Probably not. It's Warhammer. Yeah, it, it feels one of those delightfully old school games where uh, if someone really wanted to, they could go through with a fine tooth comb to get a min-maxed character with a, yeah. the most powerful numbers. But uh, I think it's more about just <laughs> taking a mixed bag of stuff and seeing what you get from it. The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! And now, rules. Right, so, I mean, at its heart, it's stat plus skill, isn't it? Really, and it's a percentage dice, and you try and roll that number or less, and um, there's criticals and fumbles. Yes, that's the basis of it. 
so there's a, a bunch of different tests. It's rolling percentile dice, trying to get under a, a number, which is from one to a hundred, ostensibly. Uh, simple tests are you need to roll your your number or less. So that seems fine. Uh, one of the problems from the old game or challenges for people is that skills tend to be low when you start out. So there's a lot of complaints about whiffery. Uh, mm-hmm. In that, if you have 33 as one of your better skills and you're trying to roll under it, um, you fail more often than you succeed, which is mm-hmm. upsetting for people who want to do stuff and be capable. And I think there was a badge of honour in the old game, wasn't there? And in, in the old yeah. school way of playing, that like you kind of had to work your way up. And if you got a character that was half decent, you felt proud and you'd earned it like a man. Uh, yeah. I think today we've probably got a bit more sensible about it and <laughs> we want to start out being able to do stuff. So there's there's different levels of the rules there as well. So things like uh, dramatic tests are where the success level matters. Mm-hmm. So that's how far away from the number did you get. If you've got a skill of 50 and you're older 20, uh, you look at the tens unit uh, and take one from the other. So five minus two is three, three success levels. And it works the other way as well. If you're older 80, you failed by three success levels. Um, just to give you an idea of, of grade of how well you did. So you might use that if you're bargaining with someone to see how much money you got off or or that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And then that informs the opposed roles. And I think that's where this edition of the rules uh, rapidly improves on the old versions that for opposed roles, you don't necessarily have to roll equal to or less than your skill. It's all about mm-hmm. the success level. So if you are trying to hit someone and your skill's 50 and you roll 60, say, you've got minus one. But if they roll minus three success levels on their parry, you still hit them. Yeah. And with a difference of two. So what that means is, unlike in the old game where you had a bunch of people with 30 and 40 percent and it, you only hit one time in three and then they probably dodged it anyway and combats went on forever this means that every round something somebody wins what they're trying to do uh, and mm. combats go faster characters are more successful more results happen more quickly and that's all good yeah it, it sounds complicated but in play that flies along pretty readily actually doesn't yeah. it it's um the only thing it makes me wonder is what's the point of the the units dice because it, uh, it feels like the, the game would fly just along nicely with a d10 sometimes um, and I don't know yeah, it's, probably... it's a level of granularity isn't it I think yeah. part of it is they wanted to keep the old percentages from the old game and use mm-hmm. percentiles so I think that's that's it there is some maths around if you've got a 41 or a 49 in the skill and which is better is it better to have 50 than sure. 49 and all those kind of things that I'm sure Phil the Dash Mechanic and other people on Twitter will uh, pour over for, for weeks on end trying to yeah. work out the best combinations of things and how best to spell score points but um, I, I think that's fine I mean just those different types of tests so if you want just a simple did I do it or not there's a rule for that and if you want to make your combats a bit faster then you've got your opposed tests the success levels are there for getting different granularity of success if you care about such things mm-hmm. but you know it's, it's um, just a, a, good, a good array of tools that probably me describing it now as you say sounds a little bit complicated but once you play one session it all makes a lot of sense. Yeah, agreed. And you've got things like doubles as well. Rolling doubles is fun. Uh, that's a reason to have the yeah. nice dice, I suppose. So if you succeed with the double, it's good news. If you fail with the double, it's bad. Um, <laughs> you can They can re-roll stuff. There's little reverses. Oh, it's my favourite rule they kept from first edition is it's got hit locations, which normally makes my eyes just roll back in my head. I'm not a fan <laughs> of hit locations. Because <laughs> I keep describing things like I stab them in the chest and then I roll a dice and find out I've got that wrong by about four feet. but um, all you do for hit location and and runecrest fans listen up this is an easy hack for your game when you roll to attack uh, and you you get to your success 
just reverse the dice to find out what the hit location was. No need for another roll. Uh, it works it out perfectly for you. So if you succeed with the 23, you hit them in the 32. It's really easy. Mm. It's clever, isn't it? It is. There is a caveat. Of course. Uh, and as you mentioned, these doubles are criticals. Um, but the head hit location is 0, 1 to 0, 9. So there's no <laughs> way you can roll a double and critical someone in the head. So you have to roll again <laughs> to see where, they, where you've hit them <laughs> to see if you can get someone in the head sometimes. And there's just a, an awkward wrinkle on that. I think they could have made it, they could have changed the range of numbers that are on head to include yeah. 11. And then that would have been, <laughs> like, would have solved that. it a lot easier. But, you know, individual people can pick and choose around that if they feel they need to do it. Yeah, exactly. And and you know what? If you can't critical someone in the head, that's probably the only good news you're going to get playing Warhammer because it is a fairly brutal game. And um, and when crits happen, there's a lot of tables and stuff that you can roll on for uh, interesting ways your head can fly off. So it's probably not that bad an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this section is and I like like Cthulhu did this as well, and some other games have started doing it as well. Uh, it's riddled with options and call out boxes mm. and stuff like that, and I think that's fine. I think, with being, especially being an old school game, there's definitely a feeling from some players about what should and shouldn't be in the game and whether someone's ruined their game and what's official rule and what isn't. So yeah. just having a bunch of options allows all the new stuff or interesting stuff to be there without anyone feeling like someone's stepping on their fun and you yeah. pick and choose which ones you want. And there's the usual call-out box about the golden rule that what you do at your table is up to you guys. and you know Don't worry about it if you want to change the rules. So that's fine. Yeah, one of my favourite bits of the rules wrinkles in this is the outcomes table. It's a table. I like a table. Um, but it, it echoes what you're talking about with dramatic test gas. So for a game where you've ostensibly got to succeed or fail on a percentage dice roll, they've managed to pack in a bunch of stuff with those success levels, which will give you, what, eight different outcomes from an astounding success all the way through marginal success down to the bottom of an astounding failure. And I really like the way they word it, and they've taken some stuff from modern game tech here. So you've got, uh, have you succeeded? And the answer will start with yes or no, but it will be followed with another word, which might be and or but or perfectly or no chance. <laughs> and and it's a really nice way of putting putting some granularity and some options into a dice roll rather than you hit, you miss. Um, and it's that's quite a clever thing they've done there with what looks like just a simple single dice roll. So yeah. I'm glad to see that. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and then you've got extra bits and pieces around difficulty, so you can bump numbers up and down if it's something challenging or particularly easy, that sort of stuff. And then all the extra things about combining skills, if you want to assist another player, uh, rolling for initiative and all that kind of stuff we get to combat. So um, it's it's not slim on rules. There's, there's plenty oh. to go on there. It still feels like that old school game with tons of stuff. Uh, we've mentioned combat in terms of opposed roles because all combat roles are opposed and that's the, the main use for them I think mm -hmm. hit locations are in there how to do damage criticals and fumbles lots of critical tables combat difficulty bonuses so all the stuff you'd expect from an, an older trad game is there in spades um, yeah. but again a lot of it's optional and, and gives you quick ways of doing things or uh, limiting stuff or improving it and making it go faster all the rest of it now there is a thing which uh, which we've had a bit of a discussion about in our games haven't we mate advantage which doesn't mean what it does in D20 games advantage is its own thing in Warhammer um, it's uh, well do you want to describe it guys to see what, if you can if you can remember what advantage yeah. does because it's, it's a bit of a, it's a peculiarity I think it's supposed to 
I think represent uh, like a tide of battle and as, as you start winning you do better and that kind of thing so if you've uh, for example won on a post test and hit someone because you get to go first then you get a point of advantage and then you get for each point of advantage you've got you get plus 10% on everything you're doing in that fight basically um, now it's for every opposed test so that would also mean when you're defending yourself because all roles are opposed so it can mean that in the first round of combat somebody's now got plus 20% on everything they do uh, and that can quickly snowball so some of the big creatures while tough and having lots of wounds and that sort of thing might have a relatively low weapon skill so if you use advantage as written you can quickly find that big creatures can't do anything apart from get beat up because players get plus 20 and then plus 40 and then before you know it it's impossible for the, the baddie to win sort of thing so if you're going to use advantage which you can do and quite often you forget and you all the rest of it um, there are things around that you might need to look into doing for example if you get wounded you lose advantage so if you've got a big bad monster you might have some little uh, accomplices who have bows who can shoot the, the characters from back alleys or things like that or you mm. might have lots of minions or whatever so advantage I sort of like the, the hack we've gone for is that you get a point if you're doing something actively you don't also get it if yeah. you're defending uh, and I think that just slows the rate of advantage down a bit other people have used hacks like um, you limit it to your initiative bonus and that's the maximum you can get in terms of pluses or there's various different ways around it uh, I think it's it's sort of okay but it does lead to it's another thing you've got to keep track of and it can get out of hand if you're not careful yeah and specifically in online play it's, it's fiddly because yeah. you don't have stacks of counters that you can all refer to I suspect around the table there'd be loads of fun involved with that with stacking up poker chips in front of you um, yes, and correct. pushing them towards the middle of the table so horses for courses but as you rightly say mate it's flagged up as optional as is everything in a game of course but um, but they go they go out of their way to say you can monkey with this because I get the feeling that they've thought this won't suit every every group and mm. it, well it, it doesn't so good for them and it's worth bearing in mind that some talents will key off spending advantage mm. to do something or something like that so just be aware if you choose not to use it or you, you, you fiddle with it there's probably hidden away in other bits of the rules somewhere else or in the character creation some things that depend on it so just be aware of that cool cool so the stuff about movement and leaping and falling and pursuing and that sort of stuff which I'll be honest I've kind of skipped over <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> uh, you know it's good that it's there it's one of those things that there's a lot of stuff in there so it's complete I think the next bit I want, actually want to talk about is the conditions Yes. which I've got mixed feelings about Okay. Um, so if you're familiar with D&D you probably know that there's conditions you get like being stunned or blinded or whatever else that kind of thing uh, it's a similar sort of thing we've got here and the new Savage Worlds has introduced conditions now there's not as many of them um, I f although I understand why they're there I find them an extra bit of fiddle really mm -hmm. so um, fans online have done like uh, little poker card style ones that you can get so you can have them written down and hand out around the table again so it's handy for that but even then it's quite a lot of text you have to write down for what they do yeah. so I, th I think sort of like the the reason I'm not as keen on them as I could be is that they can be quite involved and it doesn't it feels like it should be something more simple to apply yeah no I know I, yeah you're right because in fairness mate in, in your D&D &D condition list it doesn't take very long before you've got those things memorized because they're not hard to figure out mm -hmm. not really um but there's 
there's some things that are folded into conditions here which are like ablaze so being on fire and, and that will happen it will happen that you need to look it up um, and there's poisoned but it's but it's also mixed in with stuff like stunned and surprised and unconscious as a condition which mm. seems like a strange place to sort of put it away because yeah I, know, I guess it is a condition but <laughs> what is there to say about it I mean, without going to look it up um, it seems like a strange thing to fold into that list it's, it's just it's okay but it is quite wordy and I think it's literally trying to cover every possible base yeah in what is not it's not really a miniatures kind of game you know and I know that the min oh, conditions what's that got to do with miniatures I don't know but it's just making it's making more things happen in fights and the conditions in D&D &D mean that you end up needing to have like little colored tokens to put next to your miniature because it's important to know who is who is dazed yeah. so I just don't I don't see that happening in Warhammer so much where you've got like you know your poisoned condition in the middle of a fight and and it is round by round stuff I don't know it just looks like too much but I it's suppose you can just excise it can't you you can just not have it if you, if you don't want <laughs> yeah. it so I mean the trouble is we're coming up to some uh, critical tables which you know Ah, if, yeah. you, if, if you remember back in the day it's going to have the critical table to roll and that's what's dangerous you have a bunch of wounds as a character but mm. you really only take two or three solid hits and then you're into taking critical tables and that's where you can lose your character yeah. or an eye or a hand or something mm. like that uh, uh, but quite a lot of results are you get some conditions like you get four bleeding conditions for example Right. so then you have to go away and find out what your bleeding conditions are and what four of them means and how to get rid of them and then you read that once you got rid of them all, then you get the fatigue condition. So you have to get the fatigue condition out to work out what that means. Um, right. So it just feels a little bit like that's when you get to the criticals, that should be like, all oh, right, things are dangerous. And it actually feels more like I've now got more work and reading to do. Probably when you play the game for a while, this all comes a second nature. You know what bleeding does, and you know what fatigue does, and you you know you just mm -hmm. do it because you know it. Um, but I found playing infrequently, it feels like a lot of admin when that should be the exciting bit. Yeah, for me personally, and, and you have that for all your bad guys as well. I yeah, to manage. I mean, yeah, okay. yeah, I tend to go when the bad guys are on zero wounds, they go down. Okay, because I don't want to deal with all that. But yeah, it, it is what it is. We'll move on. Okay. Yeah, there's a bit on fate and resilience. Um, so there, things like it, whatever your fate rating is, say three, you'll also have uh, three fortune points, and they give you rerolls. Or get you a success level or things like that. So they're like your extra mm -hmm. little uh, tweaks you can do in games to help yourself out. And fate points can be used for things like you spend one to not be dead. So mm -hmm. if you roll particularly badly with your head critical and your head should have been taken off, you can spend your fate point uh, to say, actually, no, it didn't kill me. It just looked like it taken my head off and it taken my scalp off or something. Or you come up with some of the reason why you're not dead, but you're you're out of it. Uh, but they're quite hard to get back and should be distributed so they're they're the sort of mechanic for we've mentioned elves getting loads more points for example and mm -hmm. people will be excited about that uh, but you don't get many fate if any I think as, as default you get right. none but you do get some free points to spend a couple um, cool. so you're going to have less fate points you've got less get out of jail free cards so your character will be more spangly at the start but may end up dead quicker okay and, and all of that was in Warhammer 1 well fate points were and they were really necessary because the game tried to mangle you at every yeah. stage, so it gave you it gave you a nice way of like not being completely well. You weren't rolling up a new character every five minutes because that would be tedious. Uh, and this game doubles down it and gives you resilience and resolve uh, to sort of like bookend your fate and fortune. Um, and that's about your personal drive, determination, 
and you get little pool of points for that too and that can help you against some of the mutations and corruptions in the world so that's directly reflecting the setting a little bit more as well um, and it's not something that's come up in our games yet Gaz but you're running it so I can't see it taking too long before yeah. mutations and <laughs> yeah. psychology and stuff happens to us and we'll be glad that we've got these resilience points that are just sitting there unused to date Yes, well, I have been marking down who's got corruption, so don't worry about that. I just don't oh, need to tell you guys. No, about not it. hidden corruption. Good, that's the worst <laughs> kind. Uh, but one of the things uh, for resolve points is you can spend them to remove conditions, which is yeah. something I reminded Matt of. Um, right. Gotcha. Night. So when you do get your four bleeding conditions, over, you can start burning your resolve points to like not bleed anymore, as well as to okay. rapidly bandage yourself up and whatever else you might be doing. Right, so when I said you could just like cut out this bit of the rules, it turns out that it's connected to about three other sections. So. Yeah, it's like <laughs> taking advantage out affects talents and all the rest of it. So wow. any bit of this right. you mess around with, there will be some other consequence somewhere else. It might not be game breaking, but it's just to be okay. aware of that there's there's other bits. Systems within systems. Indeed. Um, yeah, and then it goes into more stuff about injury and death. And a bugbear I've got, we've got these critical tables they've not formatted it so each hit location is on one page and oh, I'm angry about, about this so this is not good <laughs> cubicle 7 if you're listening please go away format it so they're all in one page and then put it out as a free PDF so, so a GM can just hold them out one page at a time that'd yep. be nice thank you yep. love Gaz yep do that it's yeah I mean lay the layout in this book is really really good in every single respect except this one where you're looking down your critical table for head critical wounds and you get to 80 on a list that goes up to 100 and you have to turn the page to see what the other 20 are. That's just annoying. Yes, correct. Stop uh, it. Having said that, they are flavourful and amusing ones to read uh, mm -hmm. and that led to in our actual play, listeners can go away and listen to, uh, one of the characters lost a couple of fingers when they jumped off <laughs> a, a roof and landed badly and that kind of thing. So it that's where some of the more warhammery flavour comes back in as well in terms of it's not just four bleeding conditions it's and this horrible thing that's happened to your character that we can now talk about for the next few adventures yeah so it's it's not just hit points going up and down and you're rubbing it out and writing it down in pencil all the time there there does mean it generates an awful lot of text to deal with stuff like torn muscles and lost fingers as you say or foot injuries or amputations I mean it's quite the Grey's Anatomy for a couple <laughs> of pages there but that's Warhammer. And just when you think you're getting to the good part of the world, it then tells you about drowning and suffocation. <laughs> so this is literally, this chapter is a world of pain. <laughs> <laughs> Baz has already mentioned uh, corruption. So uh, if you are not familiar with the Warhammer world, there's the chaos gods in the background who are trying to take away people's souls. They are the baddies. Uh, and there's a corrupting influence throughout the Empire. So there's dark deals you can do with dark powers and that kind of thing. And just uh, messing around with them or discovering warp stone down in sewers, worshipped by rat men and things. There's all kinds of weird and wonderful things that will possibly turn your character inside out or corrupt his soul to become black. So there's a little mechanic or a set of mechanics for that which is quite interesting uh, and should be used. Uh, one of the bits I like is offering players rerolls for stuff. And you say, mm. you don't really mm. say why. You say, oh, I'm going to give you a free reroll. Like, you can take it if you want. <laughs> in my experience because it's me and people don't trust me everybody goes no I'm not having it I don't care <laughs> but um, it's good that it's feeding into the world because one of the conceits of Warhammer is that on the face of it everything's relatively nice and bonny even though it is kind of like um, the film Jabberwocky and maybe even Monty Python the Holy Grail so people digging in the dirt kind of stuff but it's it's you know 
a normal society but underneath it all there's these rivers of corruption and, and weird and wonderful cults and sects and all kinds of things happening so good that the rules acknowledge it and have mechanics for, for what happens if you start treading down that path yeah and uh, you can end up getting well physical or mental corruption and then sneakily you realise that if you're not playing someone human you're almost certainly going to be mentally corrupted <laughs> just because of the way it's set out it's like uh, humans it's 50-50 will bits of your body fall off or will your mind break for non-human species it's almost always your brain and so there's like another little clever bit there just when you thought you're being smart for taking an elf <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go mad yeah and then it wouldn't be warhammer if we didn't get into diseases mm-hmm. so these this is another one like those conditions uh i i know some Skim. people relish this and want to collect <laughs> diseases like football cards or something um but there's a, there's a bunch of example ones and then they have a variety of symptoms each so then you send to the next page and then there's all these different symptoms that are trying to cover every single effect a disease might have on you and each one's got about three different symptoms and then when one finishes another symptom starts and you know fine if you're into all that it just feels like it's four pages or five pages about diseases that could be a lot shorter and handled better but you know Uh, Nurgle is one of the cast guards who's into disease and that kind of stuff so it's in there for that reason one presumes yeah, I mean, it's it's all there. It's classic Warhammer, and um, and someone's you know someone's built up their part a little bit of the word processor. <laughs> that's that's not an awful crime. Done it myself. Um, but you know, it's 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 eminently skimmable. I'm afraid. Yes. This this book is thorough. Let's 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 be nice about it. It's yep. thorough, but it's not a one sit sitting reading either. You, you need to you need to put the work in on this. Um, this is like a whole hobby all of its own. Um, and you can you can go deep into this game in play. You, as a player, you don't need to know this stuff, and as a GM, you don't need to include that stuff. Correct. So that's okay, I think. But and because you've got enough to be getting on with, there, there's quite a lot of handling time involved in in any of this game. But that's feature or bug, depending on what you're into. You you definitely get your money's worth. There's a full game here. Yeah. And the last sort of little bit of that section before we move on is psychology. So that'd be familiar to people who've played one of my fancy battle in terms of mm-hmm. animosity, fear, frenzy, terror, that kind of stuff. And yep. even a section of for custom psychology for creating your own sort of thing like that if you should wish to do so. <laughs> <laughs> Which so That's adds nice. to a thorough point that they've <laughs> really thought about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In yeah, case you wanted camaraderie points in your game, now it tells you how. <laughs> So it's good that they've. And it's a nod to Warhammer Fantasy Battle and the setting, isn't there? It's that kind yeah. of tying it all together again. So that, that's nice. It's only a page or two. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to a new bit. Yeah. Yeah. New bit between adventures. Um, this that sort of stuff I really like, and it's been it's been shuffling into the spotlight in more than one game in the last decade. I think Blades in the Dark is kind of like the poster child for what yeah. you do in between adventures. Um, your classic D&D 5th edition now if we can call it a classic that's got plenty of stuff that you can do in between adventures and um, and a lot of games now seem to give this a bit more oomph don't they and I think yeah. I think that's a good thing you know it's so it's not just mission based gaming um, the characters have a little bit of a life and your campaign has a bit of a life which you can it can let fade into the background if you want just roll some dice and move on or could become the basis for a new session and I think when you've got a world as rich as the old world is in Warhammer and you've got people who've got careers rather than fighting roles then it probably fits 
that you you provide stuff for the table to do that isn't just bashing Skaven in sewers. Mm. So I'm a fan that it's there. Um, it's not a chapter I've read massively, I'll be honest, because I haven't. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It's something we haven't done yet because the the online yeah. game we're playing, we only really get together once every two or three months. It's turning out due to busyness. Mm. Um, so we've not got to the bit where we've finished the adventures and have in between bit. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's well, it starts off with events. So there's a big table there that you can roll of something that happens before you do anything of your own that you want to do. Endeavors, mm. they call them. Um, so it says you must roll this table first. But then, interestingly, above it, there's a call out box saying options. It's all optional. So, <laughs> so you don't have to do anything despite saying you must. But it's um, it's just a good little thing of what random stuff happens while you're just hanging about having. You know, bandaging your wounds, having a pint, and saying thank God that's all over with. Um, yeah. But then it moves into endeavors, and one of the cool bits about it, I like it's a bit like the old Conan game where you kind of lost half your money every session or something like that. It's mm. a similar sort of thing where if once you start the next story arc, or whatever it is, you'll have no money left. You'll have spent it all. So you either spend it on stuff now during the in between adventures bit, or it's all gone and you just wasted it gambling and drinking and wenching and what else mm. you might be doing. So that's interesting, and it's got options like putting it in a bank and all the rest of it but banks get robbed or burned down so you might lose all your money or you might get it back with a bit of interest and you can pick how risky you want that to be so mechanically that's a, you just pick a number between 1 and 10 I think it is uh, with mm. 10 being a high, high reward but also high risk so whatever the percentage is is the percentage that you lose all your money or someone robs the bank whatever <laughs> it might be so it feels very Warhammery unlike Blades in the Dark where you can just bank your money and it is banked this is yeah. proper Warhammer where you can bank your money but it might not be there when you <laughs> when you come to retire. <laughs> so that's interesting. But it also has stuff in there like training animals up or um, crafting weapons or armour or getting someone to do it for you. So that's probably better than I remember from old D&D days where you just turn up with bags of gold and then oh, buy a, you know, a plus three sword or whatever it might be because they're all hanging around. This feels more like, oh, well I want some like cool steel gauntlets to wear. It's like, okay, well I've got to pay someone go adventuring mm. for a few weeks because they're going to take ages to make them and then when I come back they might be ready for me and that kind of thing so I like how it all works it fits into the the idea of the setting um, yeah. and you can do like unusual learning to look up the, the weird stuff you encountered or you can do some skill training or that kind of stuff and then there's class specific endeavours as well um, like combat training if you're a, a ranger or a warrior for example um, and probably the last part about it as well is one of them is that you can try and gain money doing your thing so if you are the, the toll keeper or whatever then you can spend time in your toll booth collecting some tolls and then you'll get some cash so and again you can skip this but there are some talents that mean you get extra bonuses when it comes to endeavours so again caveat emptor if you start taking bits out it may knock on somewhere else so just be aware of that yeah it, and it, it, it's subtle but it, it has effects on other parts of the game as well so the injury section will, will have you realising quite quickly that if you've had an amputated limb you're not going to be bouncing back after a long rest. So <laughs> there are going to be loads of time in your campaigns where there's reason to be sitting about. So by providing this stuff, you've not got a reason for sitting about at all. So if a character wants to go away on a quest for a couple of months to go and read a book in a Call of Cthulhu style, there's other things to be getting on with. And you can make as big a deal of it or as short a deal as you want, but it's really good for like you know that online play where you catch up on email with people in the weeks in between yeah. it could all be done that styly I think it's a really good include and it, yes. again it's really thorough I mean D&D's got about 10 activities you can do in what they call downtime but in this game there's there's at least double that and some of them are class specific as well and 
yeah, you're gonna it's your character's just gonna get more and more meat on the bones if it lives that long. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's nice to see it there. And the other thing is, if you do lose a hand or whatever else, there's always the chance that you can just pay someone to create you a, a steampunk prosthetic hand yeah. in the cool. Warhammer style or things like that, or a, yeah. a special nice. leg brace or something. So that that's all good. Hmm. We like that stuff. Right. Cool. Moving on, we've got religion and belief, um, which is probably in more of the correct position than it is in the DMG, that it's quite far back. Um, <laughs> I will stop so kicking really, D&D for that at some point. But. Oh, I know, I know. Um, I mean, religion and belief is a thing in Warhammer. It's yes. a real thing as well. Interestingly, the good guy gods don't get much of a look-in in the game, strangely, because you can't, you can't really be an atheist in Warhammer. <laughs> it's impossible. No. Um, but the place you're from, the Reitland, has a has a patron deity called Sigmar, um, which was just a little throwaway comment in the original Warhammer book, and it went on to become a really big deal thanks to the campaign, and is now like you know the name of armies in Warhammer Fantasy Battles. So it's uh, it's funny how things change over decades. Uh, but there's always like there's gods. It's a fairly short pantheon, and it kind of does what you want it to. They definitely flesh it out quite a lot more than they did in Warhammer First, and they put plenty of meat on the bones again for for the cults of Myrmidia and Shalia and Ranald. They're all there, um, but let's be honest, no one cares about those. Everybody <laughs> wants to know about the four chaos gods, which is again throwaway stuff in the first Warhammer, but now I think arguably the the calling card of the Warhammer brand is yeah. things like Corn, Zinch, Nurgle, and Slanesh. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a bunch of gods in there, and uh, they've got each got a page, which I think is plenty. Yeah, it's fine. Nice yeah. art, as always. Oh, it's been you know riddled throughout this book. It's beautiful. Uh, the bit about it, I think I like. Um, it gives you the usual stuff about, you know, the names of orders and who the head of the cult is and all that kind of stuff. Holy sites. But there's also like a call out box for each, which is strictures. So it's mm. it's things you're supposed to do, so that's good in terms of role playing opportunities for your your characters. If you decide you want to be particularly devout, or if you've picked a priest as a career, rolled it up or whatever, uh, but also good for the GM to have a bit of a look through and think, I want an interesting religious figure for the characters to interact with or whatever. What what would they be about? What would they do? So you've just got sort of like five or six bullet points of the kind of things that that cult's about, which gives you some idea of how to role play it, which I think is quite nice. Yeah, yeah, it's all gameable as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, each one of these. The, this is because there's no alignment system in this game, um, but it's got these, and these do a better job than that. <laughs> yeah, so stuff like Ulrich, the god of war, like immediately in your head, you're thinking of Ares or that kind of god. Um, but he says stand up and be true and things like that. So it's, it's you know, it's yeah. just giving that extra little bit of detail. Like, what do you do? You fight stuff, and is that it? It's like, well, no, actually, there's a little bit more to it, and, and that's what makes it specific for the setting rather than just a random war god. Yeah. See, I said no one cares about the normal gods, but you know what? They've presented in such a nice fashion here uh, that it's it's playable. It's uh, it's way more than just like oh, you're the god of vengeance. And that's all we're going to say about it. But it's not you know those RuneQuest levels of here's an entire source book and it's mm. going to dictate everything you do from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep. It's a nice gameable balance of this is this is some beliefs. This is what's happening in the world, and this is how you can tell them by their actions. And that's clever. Yeah, and there are a few rules around, you know, if, if you're a devotee of the god, get some extra bits of powers or things like that. But then there's also a, a Wrath of Gods table if, you, if you're not following your yeah. strictures. <laughs> where, 
it may visit their displeasure upon you and that kind of stuff so yeah. that's all cool there's some divine manifestations in terms of blessings you might get if you follow a particular cult and the strictures uh, and miracles that certain priests will have and that kind of thing hmm. so yeah it's good it, it feels like a fantasy game kind of thing it's not as straightforward or boring in my head as a cleric it just goes around as a, a walking battery of Q-like wounds there's yeah. a bit more to it yeah agreed yeah you do end up with like basically spells that you end up casting if you're of that sort of thing but yeah then I, I think they're done quite nicely there's yeah. miracles and blessings and yeah it doesn't feel like you're just burning a spell slot you're part of the world it's good stuff yeah I probably need to look a bit more into that myself actually it's one it's one of the things that I did skip over initially but um, as I've gone back and read more bits of the book I think it's got a lot more use than I initially credited it with yeah, and if you well, if you've got someone who plays that kind of career in the game, you'll 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 want that person to do that work for you. Yeah, and they'll they'll gladly do it and benefit from it, and and that's quite nice if you've got a player who's interested and invested because then they can explain it to the rest of the group in play, which is quite a nice thing to do because then you mm. get to proselytize as as a priest. Yep, and you've you've mentioned spells there, which leads us nicely to the magic chapter. Uh huh. So, magic. fans yeah. of Fancy Battle will know there are winds of magic of different colours. So, it goes through all that stuff, the eight laws. Uh, so, you've got what I suppose the usual sort of stuff you'd expect, like there's a kind of druidy, naturey law, uh, but also the law of metal and the law of heavens and things <laughs> like that. So, it's um, <laughs> if, if Warhammer's anything, it's a metal game, I'll give it that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah um, the magic system is okay. Um, why I've sounded a little bit unsure is because uh, what I've come up against sometimes is when I've had introduced a magic using character at a, a convention for example some players like cool I want to be a mage and they assume they're going to be throwing around acid splashes of fireballs left right and centre and be the most powerful character in the party and that is mm. not the case in the game that we have before no. us uh, which is fine you just need to know that going in that actually throwing magic around is really dangerous and if you're doing the big spells uh, it's tough to cast, you might get corrupted or you might miscast to get sucked into the warp or some other thing so um, magic is in the game but as you say it's not like as freak as it would be in D&D &D or something like that, it's something dangerous and uh, you may even get hunted by witch hunters or the like because if you're not sanctioned by the ruling powers then spellcasters are viewed with suspicion and fear as is right I mean I sp one of the things I like about this chapter is magic works now so you know, <laughs> fans of old school Warhammer, the magic system in the first edition of Warhammer is a bit shit, and everybody knows that. And <laughs> they promised a magic supplement called Realms of Sorcery that took more than twenty years to appear. <laughs> so the magic system here is 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 fine, too good. Um, but the best bit, as you say, guys, is the the setting makes it a real choice here is you could by all means be a wizard and you can actually be quite powerful and if you put your put your mind and effort into it you'll be a big daddy in the setting but i tell you what everybody hates you and witch hunters are ten a penny and and the world just because of the whole chaos versus law thing magic is raw chaos and you have to be licensed otherwise the the setting will get you never mind the rules the setting will come after you and and give you a good slap um it is not an easy life using magic spells in Warhammer and that that's that's good because it's um there's a big theme in the game of like you know power corrupts well everything corrupts in Warhammer but power definitely does and the uh, peasants won't see any difference between you what you're doing in your adventuring band and the demonologist 
that they've been told that they must kill on site. So it's um, it will be interesting to see what scenarios look like and how they deal with player character wizards. But Warhammer traditionally has made their life a living hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah. Casting the big stuff is quite difficult. There's there's a casting mm. number associated with it, um, which is a success level you need to get to cast the thing. Uh, so quite easy things might have a casting number of zero so the basic cantrips which are fine mm. uh, and they're things that uh, perhaps are going unnoticed anyway so you might be able to create the sounds of footsteps falling or something like that a nice little cantrip that nobody would notice mm. you'll get away with that and nobody's going to call the witch hunter um, but if you want to fly then that's got a casting number of eight so you've got to get like eight success levels on it which yeah. is like so you've got to get like 80 higher than your or below your skill rather so you can see how there's ways around it you can gather power and all this kind of stuff but it's just I think it's balanced in a way that makes sense so the really big flashy stuff that's going to get in trouble is actually really hard to pull off as well or may end up corrupting yeah. you that sort of thing yeah definitely it's 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 worth a look I mean this and the priest chapter as well they're not just like here's another PC read that off you go it, it just doesn't work that way there's loads of stuff there it makes it look at first blush like if you've come from D&D &D and you think I want to play the sorcerer that this is your chapter yeah it is but you're not going to be using all of it because you're going to be picking a specialization the world's against you it's it's not going to be necessarily an easy ride but it will be fulfilling there's yeah. there's a lot to do there um, and uh, yeah and, and and you will be you will be involved and your life will be interesting if you take <laughs> this path <laughs> may you live in interesting times Exactly. Yeah. There's a bit of stuff in there about dark magic and chaos magic. It gets a very light touch just to give you a flavour. I suspect there'll be a chaos supplement in the offing at some point, which will go into some more detail, yeah, which yeah. is good. But um, so yeah, that I mean that bit's fine from the GM point of view, I suppose. If you want the more exotic stuff, it's just giving you a flavour, um, mm. and we'll have to wait a little bit to get the proper meaty stuff about the chaos gods and the and that sort of thing. But in the meantime, there's all the eight standard laws of magic and a variety of different spells for each one plus the basic stuff everyone gets so there's plenty of stuff to investigate yeah yeah and that's the that's the player stuff done um what nearly 300 pages so it's not short there's <laughs> <laughs> a lot to go huh? yeah because <laughs> um, the games master chapter starts on like well page 258 on my pdf yes and that. uh yeah that there, there's a lot there you can't you can't swallow all of that in one go you're not expected to either in fairness um but there is a deep deep game in there um with an awful lot of stuff that may never never may never see the light of your table um but you can guarantee it's there in play i mean you've run this game guys before we even get into the games master section it feels a lot lighter at the table um yes. how does it feel running it uh, part of that is because I'm making it so by taking some rules out and not really going with them um, or going to the full depth but yeah I think that the opposed roles just speeds everything up and makes people less crap mm. the, the, the thing that always used to annoy me is like not being able to succeed and get this fight with a watchman over with because no one can hit anyone else and it ends up looking yeah. like Keystone Cops so that that definitely helps and, and using them with things like bargaining with people or gambling at a table or whatever it just makes everything suddenly starts to click and make a lot more sense so that's good um, mm. all the stuff about fate points and resolve and stuff all a nice little extra bits where you're thinking what can I do just to help myself out as a character so that's nice to have uh, the sort of like the baddies make sense we've not got into the, the gem bit too much I mean that's the gem bit's actually like a very small amount compared to players 
but there's there yeah. is a vestry there, and it's got a good you know sample of some skaven, some orcs and goblins, uh, a bunch of monsters and regular creatures and things like that, and they all make sense. Um, it's, <laughs> it's got the the other this common complaint I've got that there's creature powers, and it'll list mm-hmm. out what each creature's got, and then give you optional ones they might have, but then you have to like flick to the back of the book to find out what they all do. So again, I think it's one of them. Where if you were gemming every week, you would remember what hatred of a foe did, or all these other different bits and pieces they might have. Yeah, it just feels a little bit awkward having to look up all the different special abilities your monsters have got to then write them down, so you know what your monster can do. But that aside, there's again a beautiful piece of art for each one. It's got a stat block. It's got some special abilities. That's all you need to get going. It's not exhaustive, but it's plenty mm-hmm. for what you need. Yeah, and I should say it's not a massive list. I mean. Um, our friends over at the Grognar Files uh, did their show uh, I guess we'll put a link in our notes won't we but they did a show on Warhammer 1 um, which we talked about that at length and I think the guys said they they thought the monster list in Warhammer 1 was a little bit mundane and there's elements of that here too but then the answer I gave then and I'll give it now is that the Warhammer world isn't really about fighting chimeras in forests It's it's actually about dealing with corruption and witch hunters and petty nobles um, and you know the humans elves dwarves and halflings in the world are really your opponents a lot of the time mm. and the more kind of like outre out there stuff like like skaven or zombies even they're pretty rare and thanks to rules like fear and terror they are genuinely frightening foes but it certainly isn't like let's go down the dungeon and clear out 10 rooms tonight and then sleep in one of the rooms and get some magic items so although they're all of those things kind of exist in the warhammer world it's not the focus is it no. the focus that's why i think we've dwelt on the character section so long because it's that's the bit you go to that's to get your funny. npcs from and that's those are the baddies yeah yeah absolutely i mean i'll, I'll so quickly do the rest of the book in, in one minute just conscious mm. of time and how much you're spending but there's about 20 pages about Rackland itself which I think is enough for a book of this size you'd expect it to be sometimes 100 or 200 pages of history and stuff which is just too much to bear for a man of my years mm. uh, but like 10-20 pages full of art as well that's good there's a couple of pages on what to do as a GM there's miscellaneous bits and pieces on rules and things like that I've mentioned prosthetics there's like half a page on what you do with your eye patch your false lay or that kind of thing so there's all kinds of bits and pieces uh, and that with a bestry is more or less the GM's chapter so that there's not a lot for the GM I would say compared to like you know the, the meat of the book is definitely the player's bit and as you say looking into the careers or looking to the religions or looking to the magic that's probably where your GM gets his ideas from about what to do with the game yeah. so you don't need a massive GM section because all the, the rules are front loaded as well so you don't need mm. extra rules for GMs there are some tweaks and extra bits in there if you want them but all the stuff you want is for a bit available for all players and gem right at the start of the book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it it does get into the whole. It is a bit like reading an encyclopedia when you get to that bit because you get to the back half of the book and it is a bit bitty. There's a bunch of stuff about coins and trade and and I guess for some people they'll love all that and they'll delve into it. It's all there. This game touches every single thing. Their, their list to do when they were writing this must have been absolutely massive yeah. and, and I am in some way surprised they haven't like cut it back quite a lot but this is a comprehensive but this is the equivalent of the DMG the player's handbook, the monster manual, all in one thing yes. um, and you know, it, it yeah, it's really really thorough, I'm kind of pleased there's a starter set coming with some adventures in it because 
there is no adventure in this book no. that is an omission although to be absolutely fair to them they've released two PDF adventures for free so Grr. you can you just go and get them free <laughs> they're not in the Shush. book but that's fine <laughs> that's not advancing my argument at all <laughs> if you'd have said that about two months ago you'd have been right but <laughs> yeah. since they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they produced it in fact uh, I saw some fans online giving them a hard time because they weren't producing more paid content I was like there's no place in something but you're getting free adventures yeah. and moaning about it <laughs> I think it was tongue in cheek wow. but yeah, you never know on the internet you can get in touch with the smart party via your favourite electronic means look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome more diplomacy so we, we've mentioned. So let's sum up then, shall we go? Yeah. So we've we've walked we've walked through, and I know we've we've sort of skipped through the last bit. If you're still with us, well done, thank you. <laughs> but you if you better get used to long hauls because if you want to get into Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, you're gonna to have to build up your stamina. That's right. it, 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 there's plenty there, and it's juicy as anything. And I, and I guess I recommend it. I think it's a really solid game. It's trad as everything, um, but it's super thorough. There's enough there for you. You play forever with this thing. It looks like it's going to be fantastically well supported. It's really inspirational. Although there's a lot to read, it's written really well. Some bits you'll skim, some bits you'll read five or six times because you just enjoy reading it so much. And the artwork is a delight. So it's a recommended game for me. Yeah, uh, same here. Like I said, for for someone with my advanced years and lots of things to do, I haven't got a lot of time spare. So. I know I probably like over over overdone it or overlabored the point perhaps, but it does feel a little bit like homework sometimes. There's a lot in there to get your head around, uh, and you can skip stuff out, but then it might affect other things. So you've got to be a little bit careful. Mm. But if you're up for that kind of game, if you like a nice, good traditional game and want something different than a standard generic fantasy fair, uh, it's awesome. Uh, and definitely, if you like the IP of Warhammer in the World, or you like that kind of feel to it, maybe a bit. I've mentioned Renaissance Germany, but that kind of um, not quite steampunk, but there's it's kind of like flashing blades and uh, flintlock pistols, and then other things like that as well is kind of in there as well a little bit. Um, I'm not even sure it's fantasy per se; just it feels a bit more um, up to date, or again, I don't want to say realistic, but grounded. Again, it feels about people and characters yeah. and things like that. So yeah, definitely, um, if you're prepared to put the effort in. There's a good game there. It, it feels like the old first and second edition if you used to play those out there in Listerland, uh, but updated with some modern sensibilities in to speed it all up, make it a bit neater, give you some more options. Um, and there's all kinds of extra bits and pieces, like you can ignore critical wounds by spending an armor point or things like that if you want, that I I don't use because I don't think it feels warhammery enough, but it's in there so that people can use. So we've only covered, I don't know. 20% of the rules probably there's, there's a bunch of other mm. options and bells and whistles to make this game your own depending on how deep you want to go into it um, but definitely recommend it we've been having a lot of fun playing it uh, albeit infrequently and I know a lot of other people out there as well have got quite excited and the support as you said is already good with free stuff coming out and more on the way and the art and the way it's presented are laid out all beautiful so yes thumbs up from me to you Baz yeah I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with this I hope it's popular I think it is I think they're doing well with it. It's impossible to know from the outside, but with it, when again, I'll keep going back to the first Warhammer Fantasy from the mid to late '80s. 
that game really came into its own when the campaign started dropping and that's what people played and and I remember Warhammer Fantasy not being a book you had to reference very much once you were off and running mm. it was a game that, that like played itself it was a lot of front loaded stuff and then off you went and it was the campaigns that really brought everything to life and that introduced all of the really good stuff um, let's see what happens with this edition because um, it, you know, I can, you know, this is a game that's going to need some learning if you want to use it all from my perspective as a player when I've been playing in your game guys it didn't look that crunchy when I see what you've had to deal with and I see how much more I could take on if I wanted to as a player there's more than enough I could go deep into this game mm. really deep but you don't have to I think it's still perfectly playable for someone who knows nothing about Warhammer if you can teach them how to roll a percentage dice I reckon you could be playing in 15 minutes with a pre-gen I don't think it's that it's that bad it's all enjoyable crunch and that's the best kind of crunch yeah you're just going to get people's heads around success levels with your pause rolls because yeah. people will consistently tell you that they rolled a 37 and the skill's 43 or something and you have to keep saying I just want to know that you succeeded by one level like I said just say succeed by one uh, and that normally takes <laughs> a couple of hours from the, yeah. the various convention games I've played and then people get it and then they'll go oh you just want the success level I'm like yes it yes. just the clicks for some reason after a certain number of rolls and then you're away then and then it gets yeah. even faster and, and simpler so yeah definitely and I think the, the Death on the Reich quadrilogy I want to say was it a trilogy or four parts I can't remember um, that's coming back again at some point they've added some extra material they're dressing it up again they're potting it up and dusting it down so that old classic will be out as well as brand new content as well so lots to look forward to in the future so that's that's what we think um, in our actual play uh, I think this is game the smart party recommend so pick it up we would love to hear what you think about this game um, there's so much we haven't talked about in what is already a pretty long cast so again thanks for listening to us this long um, perhaps if you've got your opinions I mean chuck them our way I, I'm kind of desperate to know why why people would play Zweihander and not this there's, there's a line of inquiry there I'm desperate to know if people uh, think that they don't need this new game in their lives, and that, or I'm also desperate to know if people are looking forward to the Age of Sigma variant. You know what's happening if you're, you know, less than our age, which isn't hard, and <laughs> your Games Workshop exposure has not told you anything about the old world. This is a big subject, as befits a massive book, and I don't think we can do it justice in one of these. So it'll be over to the Smart Posse to continue that conversation through the various social media outlets that we inhabit. You can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, you can send us a letter if you like, and uh, it will come to our boarding house somewhere near Outdorf. <laughs> yep, yeah, do let me know. I've run this at a few conventions now, and it's always been well received, and I've sold more than a couple of copies off the back of it as well. So send us free stuff, Cubicle 7. But, yeah, yes. go on, Cubicle yeah. 7, do it. You're brilliant. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely well received. I think, like you say, you do some pre-gens, and everybody jumps into it, so definitely interested to hear what other people thought of it as well if they've played it or run it what their experiences are like because obviously I've got my own but everyone's different so yeah write in drop us a line do whatever and I will see you to play a game in the Reichland uh, convention soon cheers everyone speak to you soon ta-da